0: animal studies. For this you will need to know about Lorenz and Harlow. Lorenz was an ethologist who came up with the theory of imprinting. To do this he randomly divided a cluster of goose eggs and hatched half with their mother in a natural environment and half in an incubator where the first moving object they saw was Lorenz. He found that those who had been hatched with their mother followed the mum versus those who had seen Lorenz first followed Lorenz. We can therefore say that each bird was either attached to the mum or Lorenz, and those that didn't attach, never attached. Lorenz found that there was a critical period uh, that can be species dependent. For some, it can be mere hours, whereas for humans, it is two years. Lorenz also did a study on sexual imprinting. He saw a peacock raised in a reptile house, that displayed courtship behaviour to a giant tortoise and only direct its courtship behaviour towards giant tortoises. Lorenz concluded that this meant that the peacock had undergone sexual imprinting. However, Guiton et al. in 1966 would say that sexual imprinting is not as permanent as Lorenz made it seem. They found that chickens that imprinted on rubber gloves later learnt by experience that they liked chickens and not rubber gloves and therefore there was innate characteristic to courtship behaviour. In general, Lorenz's studies are less generalizable, as they include studies on birds, which are not mammals. We know that mammals are more emotional and seem better capable of forming attachments at any time. Harlow Harlow, in 1958, studied the importance of contact comfort in one of the studies. He gave newborn monkeys either a cloth to cuddle or nothing. Those that were given a cloth to cuddle were survived, but those who didn't were found dead. In the study we watched in class, baby monkeys were either given a cloth mother or a milk mother. When the monkey was scared, it was found that the cloth mother was universally preferred and sought over the wire mother. Harlow concluded that this therefore meant that contact comfort was more important than food in attachment. Criticism of Harlow's studies was ethics. For example, the fact that the monkeys were similar enough to generalise findings meant that they also had similar suffering. Hallow also called the milk mothers wire mothers and the iron maiden, which was an old-fashioned torture device, and so that he knew it was cruel. On the flip side of this people may argue that it was necessary to find out about attachment. The strength of this study is that it has theoretical value and shows the importance of comfort over food in quality relationships which therefore affect parenting style later in life. For example those who had the wire mother were most dysfunction as adults although both who had the wire mother and the cloth mother as opposed to a real mother were aggressive, less sociable and bred less. They were also unskilled at mating and parenting and often neglected, attacked and even killed their young as they had never been taught by their parents otherwise. It was found that monkeys had a critical period of 90 days. This has practical values as social workers can identify risk factors in child abuse and neglect and can intervene and prevent the detrimental effects of neglect sooner it also has implications of zoological monkey care ainsworth strange situation ainsworth proposed the strange situation as a means of determining a baby's attachment type in 1969 the strange situation was done using a room uh, which was a lab uh, with a two-way mirror Although, of course, the infant didn't know that it was an experiment, the parent did, so it is still liable for demand characteristic, although I'm not sure whether it is classed as a covert experiment or an overt experiment. In writing an essay about the strange situation, I would put three AO1 paragraphs, each detailing the conditions and the responses uh, for each of the different types of attachment. Secure. Avoidant. And resistant. The strange situation begins with the parent and child in a room. This is testing for whether the child can use the parent as a secure base. For a securely attached child, this means that the child uses the mother as a secure base so is able to function independently, but often comes back to the mother to show her different things that she has found. However, an avoidant child ignores the mother and is indifferent and explores but doesn't come back to the mother with um, things they have found. In complete contrast, a resistant child is fussy and wary in the presence of its mother and will explore less and seek greater proximity to the mother. A stranger then walks into the room. This is to assess stranger anxiety. While the secure child is happy when the mother is there, regardless of the stranger's presence, an avoidant child has little stranger anxiety. This is in complete comparison to a resistant child who has difficulty using the mother as a secure base. The parent then leaves. This is to test their child's reactions to a stranger. The securely attached child is distressed when the mother leaves and the play is considerably reduced. However, it is not extortionate. An avoidant child, however, as a result of its being characterised by an indifference towards the mother, experiences little distress in its mother's absence. Again, the resistant child shows the most distress when the mother leaves, and will often cry. The parent then re-enters. This is to assess the reunion behaviour while the secure child seeks immediate contact on the parent's return and is quickly calmed and then plays resume. Uh, The resistant child will seek contact with the mother on return, but shows anger and resist contact. This type of seek and response behaviour is prominent in resistant children because they do not know whether to trust their mother or not. This is a result of differing behaviours and attitudes of the mother towards the child, so that the child is confused as to how the mother perceives them. The avoidant child actively ignores their mother on return. The stranger leaves the room, and then the parent leaves the room also. This is to assess separation anxiety, and the patterns are similar to the previous conditions. The secure the attached child experiences moderate distress while the avoidant child experiences no distress, and the resistant child experiences extortionate distress. The stranger enters again, but the mother is still absent. This is also to assess stranger anxiety for the securely attached child. The stranger can provide some comfort to the child um after the moderate distress of having separation anxiety however she and the mother are treated differently from one another. As an avoidant child avoids its mother, it also rejects the stranger's attempts at comfort. On the other hand, a resistant child shows huge levels of stranger and separation anxiety and cannot be comforted by the stranger. The parent then re-enters once more, once more assessing reunion behaviour. Securely attached children will accept comfort from the caregiver, whereas avoidant child do not receive comfort or require comfort and the insecure resistant child will show the same seek and response behaviour as they did before. Evaluation of the strange situation. A strength of the strange situation is that it is supported by real life. For example, it has been shown that attachment type is correlated to later development, for example, those who have a secure attachment are more likely to have success at school and within relationships, whereas those who are insecurely attached are significantly more likely to experience bullying or mental health issues. Another strength of the strange situation is that it has good inter-rater reliability. This means that different observers also agree on the type of classification um, given to each child. In the 2012 study, 94% of the observers agreed on the classifications of each child. This suggests that the experiment has effective behavioural categories. However, Kagan in 1982 suggested that temperament may also be a factor in determining a child's attachment type rather than the treatment of the parents on the child. If attachment type and relationship style was purely biological, this would be in opposition to Ainsworth's theories that the parent-child relationship is what goes on to later establish the basis of the child's relationships in the future. In contrast to the strength of having good interrelated reliability, uh, Main and Solomon in 1986 found that there was another category of Attachment. This was called a disorganised attachment. This means that potentially some of the children in Ainsworth's study were classified wrong and therefore makes her reliability less accurate. While the strange situation found that 66% were securely attached, whereas 22% were avoidant and 12% were resistant, there is an argument that the strange situation is culture bound For example, in Japanese culture, babies rarely leave their mum, and therefore, separation anxiety will be high. However, this does not necessarily mean that their quality of attachment is any less secure, although it indicates a resistant attachment. It was also found that mothers in some cultures rushed to their uh, baby on return, and therefore it was difficult to observe the baby's reaction, as opposed to the mother's run and internal working model. Critical period. According to Bowlby, the critical period is about two and a half years, although some textbooks will say three. If an attachment is not formed within this time, the child will find it much harder to form one later on, as it is adaptive. However, an AO3 point could be to do with the Kaluchova twins, two twins who were locked in a basement with each other for many years and did not have much interaction with a primary caregiver. However, this could also be debated as the twins could have formed an attachment with each other. These twins went on later to form healthy relationships, which goes against the theory of a critical period. A for adaptive. This um, is because Balby argued that the monotropy is innate and is an advantage, as the child is fed and kept from danger. The short-term advantages of an attachment to a caregiver is that they are fed and kept warm, whereas the long-term advantages are that it provides emotional security, allowing us to develop secure and healthy adult relationships. S for social releases. These unlock the caregiver's tendency to care and trigger our innate attachment response. They can be physical and behavioral sorry, behavioural attributes of a child, physical characteristics such as large eyes and a typical baby face, and behavioural characteristics such as crying and cooing and giggling, uh, etc. Brazelton, in 1975, found that when primary attachment figures were told to ignore their baby's social releases, when they, they initially showed distress, and then later on, Uh, went silent, which suggests that social releases are, in fact, an innate biological motivator. The fact that children responded so strongly supports Bowlby's ideas about the significance of infant social behaviour in eliciting caregiving. This can be used as an AO3 point. Monotropy, M. Bowlby said that infants form a number of attachments, but the monotropy, uh, primary attachment, is the most important. It's also the first attachment before going on to develop more attachments later. Uh, The sensitivity hypothesis is that monotropy is formed with the person who responds best to the child's social releases. Bowlby thought that this child's attachment to this one caregiver was different and more important than the others and believed that the more time a baby spent with this mother figure um, would be better. Uh, The law of conditionality continuity stated that the more constant and predicted a child's care the better the quality of their attachment while the law of accumulated separation um, is where the effects of every separation from the mother add up and the safest dose of separation as it were um, is therefore no dose. I internal working model Bowlby proposed that a child forms a mental representation of their relationship with their primary caregiver, called the internal working model. This is because it serves as a model for what future relationships should look like, and is one of the reasons why the monotropy is the most important in Bowlby's opinion. Uh, a child who experiences a loving relationship with a reliable caregiver tends to form an explanation, expectation that relationships will be loving and reliable in the future, and will bring these qualities to future relationships. Whereas a child whose first relationship uh, involves poor treatment will tend to form poorer relationships in the future, where they expect such treatment uh, from others or treat others in that way. More importantly, the working model um, affects child's later ability to be parents themselves. People tend to base their parenting behaviour on their own experiences of being parented, which explains why children from functional families tend to have similar families themselves. This is backed up by Harlow, who found that those monkeys who had been kept in a cage with a wire mother or a cloth mother instead of a real monkey um, tended to neglect um, and harm their young and even kill their young, um, and displayed unusual breeding behaviour. AO3 There is cross-cultural support for the idea of monotropy. For example, Tronik et al. studied an African tribe who lived in extended family groups. The women were looked after and even breastfed by different women, but usually slept with their own mother at night. Despite such differencing in childbearing practices, at six months, the infant still showed one primary attachment to the mother. This supports the idea that there is a special attachment that is different and more important than the others. Therefore, even in other cultures where childcare is shared, there is still evidence of monotropic attachments. Uh, There is a critical period within which an attachment must form. However, there is research evidence against this. Uh, I've already mentioned this, but I'll say it again. For example, Kaluchifa found that twin boys who were raised in isolation without a mother figure were able, once rescued at the age of seven, to perform uh, secure attachments to their adoptive family which suggests that children can form attachments after this critical period and go on to form healthy, secure relationships. However, it could be the reason why the twins could recover is that they were um, able to form an attachment to each other. This suggests that it's not the monotropic attachment that is important, but more that we're able to form uh, any attachment uh, and the fact that we have an opportunity to form this, supporting what Shaffer says about the importance of vertical relationships. This highlights another issue with Bowlby's theory, which is that it is deterministic. For example, Maine and Goldwin in 1984 argued that some people have difficult childhoods and insecure attachments. Many have gone on to pre- develop uh, positive and secure adult rela- sorry, relationships in adulthood. This may be due to positive school experiences or strong adult attachments, which have led them to develop feelings of security and trust later in their lives which is a weakness of Balby's theory, as it again highlights the fact that other factors can influence the outcome of a child's emotional development and suggests that the importance of the monotropic relationship has been overemphasised in relation to other factors. Therefore, Balby's theory can be seen as being too simplistic, as it suggests that the child's emotional development and happiness is determined from an early age as a result of monotropic attachment. However, there is social support, sorry, there is support for the role of social releases in attachment. For example, Brazelton et al. in 1975 instructed primary attachment figures to ignore their baby's signals, uh, which were their social releases. The babies initially showed some distress, but when the attachment figures continued to ignore the baby, some responded by curling up and lying motionless, which supports Bowlby's ideas that children are born with a set of social releases designed to initiate social interaction, and that doing so is important to the baby. The fact that children responded so strongly in this study supports Bowlby's ideas about the significance of infant social behaviour in eliciting caregiving. There is also support for the idea that the internal working model affects a child's later ability to be a parent themselves. For example, Harlow conducted research with monkeys in the 1950s where babies were raised using a wire or cloth mother, which led to behaviour that was more aggressive, less sociable, and that these monkeys bred less often than typical. They often neglected, attacked, and even killed their young. This supports Balby's assumptions that people tend to base their parenting behaviour on their own experiences of being uh, parented. However, as these studies are done on animals, they may only have a limited application to human beings. For example, Harlow identified the critical period in monkeys as being 90 days, compared to two and a half years for humans, suggesting that this bond may be much more complex. There is also human evidence to support the idea of the internal working model. For example, Bailey et al. in 2007 assessed 99 mothers with one-year-old babies on the quality of their attachment to their own mothers using an interview, whilst also assessing the quality of the attachment of the babies to their mothers through observation. Mothers with poor attachments to their own parents were more likely to have poor attachment to their babies, This supports the idea that the internal working model gets passed on through families, and therefore is an empirical evidence for the internal working model. Learning theory of attachment. This theory of attachment is in opposition to Balby's monotropic theory, uh, and suggests that babies attach for the food that their caregiver provides. This was popular in the 1950s, uh, and was the view that attachments develop through classical or operant conditioning. As a result of its emphasis on food, uh, it can sometimes be called a cupboard love approach. This was proposed by Dollard and Miller. The things you need to know are classical and operant conditioning. So in the classical conditioning explanation, children learn to associate two stimuli together. So in the case of um, attachment, the unconditioned stimulus would be the food which um, causes pleasure, which is the unconditioned response. The caregiver at the beginning is the neutral stimulus which produces no response, but over time as the baby learns to associate food with the caregiver, um, the caregiver becomes the conditioned stimulus uh, and pleasure becomes the conditioned response because now that they see the caregiver they learn to expect food and therefore expect pleasure. The second application of learning theory to attachment is operant conditioning. A baby learns that their crying elicits a response from the caregiver, therefore positively reinforcing their crying. Uh, At the same time, as the caregiver gives a response, the behaviour of caring for the baby is negatively reinforced as the caregiver um, is encouraged to continue doing the behaviour of comforting in order to prevent the punishment, which would be the baby's crying. This is known as comforting social suppressor behaviour, which creates a a two-way process, a sort of reciprocal caring between the baby and the mother. Um, And this interplay of mutual reinforcement strengthens the attachment. As well as conditioning, learning theory draws on the concept of drive reduction. Hunger can be seen as a primary drive, an innate biological motivator. Sears et al. suggested that as caregivers provide food, The primary drive of hunger becomes generalised to them, and thus attachment becomes a secondary drive, learned by association between caregiver and satisfaction of a primary drive. AO3. Evidence against learning theory of attachment comes from animal studies. For example, Lorenz found that geese imprinted before they were fed and maintained these attachments regardless of who fed them. This suggests that attachment does not develop as a result of feeding. And according to learning theorists themselves, what is true of animals is also true as humans. So therefore, this suggests that food does not create an attachment bond in humans or in animals. Further evidence from Harlow suggests that food is not the main factor in attachment. For example, Harlow's monkeys attach to a soft surrogate in preference to a wire surrogate that dispensed food. This suggests that attachment does not develop as a result of feeding. According to learning theorists themselves, What is true of animals is also true of humans, so therefore this suggests that food does not create an attachment bond in humans or in animals. There is a strong body of evidence which suggests that attachment is not based on food, but that the attention and responsiveness of the caregiver is more important. For example, Schaffer and Emerson found that most babies developed a primary attachment to their biological mother, even though their carers may have done the most of the feeding. These problems, uh, sorry, these findings are a problem for learning theory as they show that feeding is not the key element to attachment and actually the sensitivity of the caregiver was more important. Therefore, there is strong evidence against learning theory. A problem for learning theory is that it ignores the factors that have been associated with forming attachments. For example, research suggests that the quality of attachment is associated with factors like reciprocity and interactional synchrony. In addition, studies have shown that better quality attachments are with sensitive caregivers that pick up signals and responds appropriately. This is a weakness of learning theory as it can't explain what, if attachment develops, primarily on the basis of feeding, why these complex interactions exist. Therefore, this suggests that the assumptions of learning theory must be wrong as it can't explain why we find relationships between caregiver interactions and the quality of attachments. However, the theory does have some support from social learning theory. For example, Hay and Vespo Hay and Vespo argue that parents act as role models for their infants and teach them to understand and carry out relationships based on their own actions of looking after a child. For example, role modelling shows the child affectionate behaviour, i.e. cuddling and direct instruction, uh, and i.e. give me a kiss. However, this approach still cannot explain the role of social releasers, and therefore, although social learning theory may explain some aspects of child development, it cannot explain why, for example, children have shown interactional synchrony within minutes of being born, which is a weakness of all learning theories, i.e. innate innate behaviours are not learnt. Cultural Variations in Attachment This was a meta-analysis carried out by Van Igendorn and Krunenberg. They looked at 32 studies across 8 countries and in total studied 1,990 children. This is good as therefore they had a large sample and it was more reliable evidence. The country with the highest amount of secure attached babies was Great Britain with 75% whereas those with the lowest secure attachments was China, with 50%. However, secure attachments across the board were highest in all countries. Avoidant attachments were highest in Germany, with 35%, whereas in Japan, only 5% were seen with avoidant attachments. Lastly, resistant attachments were highest in Israel, with 29%, and Japan had a coming close-up second, with 27%. However, the country with the lowest amount of resistant attachments was Great Britain, with 3%. The high amount of resistant attachments and low amount of avoidant attachments in Japan link back to it being a collectivist society. Germany, on the other hand, places a high emphasis on individualism, And therefore, it has the highest amount of avoidant attachments in the world. It is also important to note that the 18 studies that were done from the USA found that 65% were secure, 21% were avoidant, and 14% were resistant. This is very, very close to Ainsworth's findings. Because 18 of the 32 studies were done in the USA, it may be suggested that this result is more reliable and therefore this is why it is so close to Ainsworth's own findings. Had more studies been used from each country, perhaps they also would have come up with similar results. This leads to a criticism of the study that collectivist societies were underrepresented in the sample. It also doesn't take into account variation within countries, which may have been more useful. For example, the two studies done in Japan found each that there were no avoidant children and that 20% were avoidant. Maternal deprivation The three things you need to know are Critical period, uh, the emotional characteristics of maternal deprivation, and the intellectual characteristics of maternal deprivation. Maternal deprivation is where a child has lost an element of care and has not just been separated for a while. Therefore there is difference between deprivation and separation. It was found that during the critical period of 30 months that extended deprivation during this time will cause psychological damage. Bowlby argued that this damage was inevitable. However, as seen by the Kaluchva twins, It can be theorised that maternal deprivation isn't actually as detrimental to the formation of attachments later in life by children. Emotional characteristics of maternal deprivation lead to affectionless psychopathy. This is described as the inability to experience guilt or strong emotion for others and the inability to form normal relationships. It has associations with criminality, and its sufferers suffer a lack of remorse for their actions. A point that can be used for evaluation, or AO1, is Balby's 44 Thieves Study. Balbi studied 88 children, 44 who were emotionally disturbed, and 44 who were criminals. He found that of the criminals, 14 out of the 44 suffered from affectionless psychopathy, while 12 of those 14 who suffered had experienced maternal deprivation. Of the 44 emotionally disturbed, only two out of the 44 had suffered maternal deprivation. This study can be criticized, however, in its design, as Balby himself carried out the investigation and therefore this would lead to investigator effects. There is also counter evidence to negate this study as the 44 Thieves study was replicated and it was found that maternal deprivation could not predict criminality and that therefore other factors can predict outcome of maternal deprivation. They also used retrospective techniques and therefore the memories could be wrong. Balby also identified intellectual characteristics which were affected because of maternal deprivation. Goldfarb in 1947 found that those who were in an institution had a lower IQ than those who had been fostered. We linked this with the standard of care in institutions being lower than those who were fostered. This has implications for childcare and shows the detrimental effects on intellect if the child is maternally deprived. This links to Romanian orphan studies. Two other earlier 3 points you need to know are that this is backed up by Levy et al. who separated rats for one day and found that this maternal deprivation for them had a permanent effect. There is therefore lots of research to suggest that maternal deprivation is detrimental. Also some have criticised Bolby as having poor evidence as it only used World War II orphans who could have been traumatised and had poor aftercare and institutions which were deprived of many types of care. Romanian orphan studies, the effects of institutionalisation. These were a large scale case study because of the consequence of institutionalisation arising in Romania in the 1990s. The country required Romanian women to have five children and therefore Romanian parents could not afford to keep their children, and many children ended up in huge orphanages with very poor conditions. Many of the children were adopted after the 1989 revolution, uh, some by British parents. The three paragraphs you need to write are Rutter's ERA, the Bucharest Early Intervention Project, and the Effects of Institutionalization. Rutter's ERA, which stands for English and Romanian Adoptee Study, was performed by Michael Rutter et al. in 2011. They have followed a group of 165 Romanian orphans adopted in Britain to test to what extent good care could make up for poor early experiences in institutions. Physical, cognitive and emotional development was assessed from ages 4, 6, 11 and 15. 52 British children adopted around the same time has served as a control group. The findings were... But then, when they first arrived in the UK, half the adoptees showed signs of delayed intellectual development. Many were severely undernourished. At age 11, the adopted children showed differential rates of recovery that were related to the age of adoption. The mean IQ of those adopted before six months was 102, but those after adopted after six months, uh, the IQ was 86, and after two years, the IQ was 77. These differences remained at age 16, as found by Beckett et al. in 2010. In terms of attachment, a difference in outcome related to whether adoption took place before or after six months. Children adopted after six months showed signs of a particular attachment style called disinhibited attachment. Symptoms included attention-seeking, clinginess and social behaviour directed indiscriminately towards all adults, both familiar and unfamiliar. In contrast, children adopted before the age of six months rarely displayed disinhibited attachment. The Bucharest Early Intervention Project. Zaina et al. in 2005 assessed attachment in 95 children aged 12 to 31 months who had spent most of their lives in institutional care, 90% of their lives on average. A control group of 50 children who had never been institutionalized was used. Attachment type was measured using the strange situation. In addition, carers were asked to monitor for symptoms of disinhibited attachment. The findings were that 74% of the control group came out as securely attached in the strange situation. However, only 19% of the institutional group was securely attached, with 65% being classified with disorganised attachment. The description of disinhibited attachment applied to 44% of the institutionalised children as opposed to less than 20% of the control The influence of early attachment on later relationships. We'll look at relationships in later childhood, uh, in adulthood with romantic partners, and in adulthood as a parent. As laid out by Bowlby's monotropic theory, the internal working model suggests that a child having their first relationship with their primary attachment figure forms a mental representation of relationships for li- uh, future. Uh, the quality of the child's first attachment is crucial because this temp will affect the nature of their future relationships. A child whose first experience is of a loving relationship with a reliable caregiver um, tends to assume that this is how relationships are meant to be and so will seek out functional relationships in the future and will also behave functionally within them, i.e. without being too uninvolved or being too emotionally close. Uh, Too emotionally close would be to be typifying Type A behaviour, while being controlling and argumentative typifies Type C behaviour. A child with bad experiences of their first attachment brings these bad experiences later on in relationships. This may mean that they struggle to form relationships in the first place, or that they may not behave appropriately when they have them, displaying Type A behaviour, which was being too emotionally close, or Type C behaviour, which was being too controlling or argumentative towards friends and partners. Relationships in later childhood. Attachment type is associated with the quality of peer relationships in childhood. Securely attached infants, as identified by Ainsworth, um, tend to go on to form the best quality childhood relationships, whereas uh, insecurely attached infants have later friendship difficulties. This was found by Kearns in 1994. In particular, bullying behaviour can be predicted by attachment type. Myron Wilson and Peter Smith uh, in 1998 assessed attachment type and bullying involvement using standard questionnaires in 196 children aged 7 to 11 from London. Secure children were very unlikely to be involved in bullying, while insecure avoidant children were most likely to be victims and insecure resistant children were most likely to be the bullies. Relationships in adulthood with romantic partners. In a study Uh, of attachment and both romantic relationships and friendships, McCarthy in 1999 studied 40 adult women who had been assessed when they were infants to establish their early attachment type. Those assessed as securely attached infants had the best um, adult friendships and romantic relationships whereas those classed as insecure resistant uh, as infants had particular problems maintaining friendships. also, those classed as insecure avoidant struggled with intimacy in their romantic relationships, showing uh, mirroring the attachment type they would had as a child. Hazen and Shaver in 1987 conducted a classic study of the association between attachments uh, and adult relationship. Procedure. They analysed 620 replies to a love quiz printed in an American local newspaper. There were three sections on the quiz, uh, assessing the respondent's current or most important relationship, uh, then assessing general love experiences such as number of partners, and the third section assessed attachment type by asking respondents to choose which one of three statements best describe their feelings. Findings. 56% of respondents were securely attached, with 25% insecure avoidant and 19% insecure of resistant. Those who reported secure attachments were most likely to have a good and long-lasting romantic experiences, while avoidant respondents tended to reveal jealousy and fear of intimacy. Um, This suggests that patterns of attachment behaviour are reflected in romantic relationships. Relationships in adulthood as a parent. The internal working model also affects a child's ability to parent their own children, People tend to base their parenting style on the working model, so attachment type tends to be passed on through generations of a family. Recall the study of Bailey et al. uh, in 2007. They considered the attachments of 99 mothers to their babies and to their own mothers. Mother-baby attachment was assessed using the strange situation, and mother-grandmother attachment was assessed using an interview. The majority of women had the same attachment classification both to their babies and their own mothers. AO3. Research evidence from Simpson et al. in 1997 provides evidence for the internal working model. Longitudinal study um, over 25 years of 78 participants studied them at four different stages in their lives. At one year, parents reported on attachment behaviours, while at six to eight years, teachers rated peer interactions. At 16 years, they were asked to describe their close friendships, and in adulthood, romantic partners were asked to describe their experiences. They found that securely attached infants had a higher social competence as children, were closer to their friends at 16 years, more expressive and emotionally attached um, to romantic partners at adulthood. This supports the internal working model as it shows that those children with secure attachments go on to have functional and secure later relationships, whereas those who have insecure relationships find it harder to have these secure relationships and therefore empirical evidence is um, available for the working model. Other evidence shows how the internal working model can also affect the children's ability to parent children and their own. For example, Bailey et al. in 2007 looked at the attachment type of 99 babies to their mothers through the Strange situation and the mother-grandmother attachment was assessed using interview. The majority of women had the same attachment classification both to their babies and their mothers. This supports Bowlby's theory that people tend to base their parenting style on their internal working model so attachment tends to be passed through generations of a family. Therefore, Bowlby's theory about the importance of the internal working model and parenting has empirical evidence to support it. However, a problem with these studies um, have found that a relationship between infant attachment type and the quality of relationship is that they assume that one causes the other. For example, they assume that infant attachment type causes the nature of adult relationships later on, whether they are good or bad. However, problem of correlations is that they do not necessarily mean causality. For example, it could be parenting style or it could be the child's temperament that may influence both attachment type and the quality of later attachments. Hence, we cannot necessarily use this as evidence to support Bowlby's theory that the internal working model is caused these later outcomes. A problem with assessing the effect of early attachment on later relationships is the methodology used. For example, many studies in this area use retrospective self-report techniques such as questionnaires or interviews to assess attachment type rather than real-time strange situation. This is shown in Bailey et al's study in 2007. The problem uh, arises because it depends on the honesty of the respondents. People may want to show social desirability, for example say they had a lovely childhood and having a realistic view of uh, their own relationships. It's also retrospective. Therefore, this may mean that the data lacks um, validity as it requires accurate recollections from people who are honest about childhood. The influence of early attachment on later relationships, including Bowlby's notion of the working model, can be shown to be deterministic. For example, Bowlby says that those people with a secure attachment to their primary caregiver will go on to have secure attachments later in life, and those with insecure attachments will go on to have insecure attachments later on in life. This is a weakness, as although evidence suggests the quality of infant attachments do not influence later relationships, other evidence suggests that people are not doomed to always just have bad relationships just because they had attachment problems. There's plenty of evidence to suggest that people can have happy adult relationships despite not having been securely attached as influence. Therefore, we can criticise Bowlby for exaggerating the significance of all this monotropic attachment on future relationships.